you're not a victim. You're doing it. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. Hello and welcome to the Humble You Podcast, where we talk all things mind, body, and life. And this podcast features a conversation with mentor and mindset coach, Cliff Shuffler. He is here to talk about his story of transformation from rock bottom addiction and destruction towards a meaningful and fulfilling life. He wishes to help you become the architect of your life. And Cliff, I was just looking at your profile bio and I saw it said real life advice. So I'm so excited to get this real talk started and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very uh, honored to be here. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> so uh, people probably can't see it because they're, they're listening in, but there's a beautiful dog behind you. Um, you know, you're in your home, you're out in, in Colorado, it's getting cold, uh, the winter's here, and we have a lot to talk about with your story. I love this, this, this story of transformation. I love talking to people that have tasted that darkness and then turned it into beautiful light. And we'll get into the light, but I kind of want to start off in the beginning. You know, where did you grow up? How did you grow into this world? And what was your childhood like? Um, my, my childhood wasn't very different from a lot of people that grew up in the, you know, 80s and 90s. I was just came from a good home. There's four of us kids in the family. My parents got divorced when I was 13. And, um, you know, that, that was kind of rough on me. And I went through a hard time at the age 13. And I was kind of rebellious. I was a little, I grew up a little skate rat and listening to punk music and stuff and kind of rebelled against my mom. And just to me, that was like all normal stuff. A lot of kids went through the same stuff grown up in the 80s and 90s or yeah 80s and 90s so you know my childhood wasn't anything spectacular or devastating or abusive or anything like that i came from my parents both loving they both had their issues and their problems that that affected us kids to a certain extent but it wasn't anything massive and then like did you play sports were you into sports were you into maybe more chess and theater what was the what was that life like i, I was into partying <laughs> you say partying yeah, to be honest with you, like I played football for uh, in high school for about three months or something until my ankle started giving me a hard time. And then my senior year in high school, I was like, you know what, I want to letter in something. And I found out the easiest thing to letter in was swimming. So I became I got on the swim team as a senior in high school and I didn't compete in anything. But because I was a senior, you automatically letter in it. So it's like, check that off my list. I lettered in a sport. But other than that, like pretty much me and my best friend. Um, I knew this guy growing up my entire life. We don't even remember how we met. We just knew each other our entire lives. Mm. And uh, he passed away at the age of 41. But um, we we were best friends, and we were pretty much known as the guys that we'd collect money throughout the high school all week long and throw the big parties on the weekend and tell people where it was at and all that. So, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty much just into partying, got along with people from all different cliques and everything, I had friends in every different clique, and everybody showed up and – that's pretty much what I did in high school. And I don't want to get into it too much, but while we're on this subject, you know, did you notice looking back and reflecting on that time, was that partying some kind of rebellion against anything that you were noticing, you know, going on in either your life or culture around you? Or was it just trying to fit in, you know, just enjoying that kind of time in life? I think it's more just trying to fit in, trying to have friends, trying to, you know, be the cool guy, be the popular guy, be the one that everybody wants to be around. And okay. Just trying to make it through high school, you know? And yeah. <laughs> so the partying led to where, you know, what was next after the partying? Did you continue partying through, you know, the, 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 the twenties or did you start to settle down? No, I partied, I partied till I was 39 basically, but, mm. um, I, I was still 
kind of success, not kind of, I was successful still, you know, in my life. I, uh, I, the partying continued throughout my entire life, but in my high, in my senior year of high school, I got a good kick in the butt from a journalism teacher. Um, ever since about eighth grade, I'd skated by with D's and F's and just barely got by and people didn't want to have me in their class again. So they'd, you know, pass me with a D minus just enough to get by to the next grade. Hmm. And senior year in high school, about three weeks before graduation, we had to go around and get our grades from all our teachers. And in this particular class, I was below passing by 7%. I was at just 7%. And he didn't ask me, he didn't let me slide by. He gave me a kick in the ass and I didn't get to graduate on time with everybody I'd gone to school with since elementary school. I got to sit in the stands and watch the best friend I told you about. I got to watch him watch, walk down the aisle and graduate and get his diploma and stuff. And as much as that sucked, it was the kick in the ass I needed. Wow. After, after I went to one class in I can't talk. One class in summer school, made up those credits. I moved immediately to Arizona um, to get away from here, get away from my family, my friends, everything to kind of find myself, my own life, my own direction. And uh, got into community college there and eventually transferred over to the University of Arizona State University. And from the time I moved out there, I got all A's and B's. Wow. And they always okay. told me, like, you're not an idiot. You just don't apply yourself. You just don't yeah. do the work. Yeah. And I didn't. It's, I didn't want to. I didn't see the value in homework. So I yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. And it's amazing because I always talk about this with people, how I really, I feel like the education system should start to get children or at least young adults interested in who they are and what their passions are and what they're good at and what they can start to, you know, aim towards. And and it seems like the system that we have in place now is more of a, you know, general system, which is okay. You know, there is a structure to it, but I don't see, you know, I don't see them trying to really tap into the potential of students and, and get tap into the pen, potential of, of where things can go in someone's life. And, you know, when you don't have they that don't, excitement, you, you lose that sense and you don't think you're smart then because you're, you're playing into, you know, you, you don't, you don't think this, this work is, is, is necessary in your life. You don't have that passion for it. And then you get the grades and you're feeling like a failure and this, this negative feedback loop can put you down a bad road. Um, but what were you saying? I, I kind of cut you off there. No, no, that's all right. I was going to interrupt you, but I was going to say, you know, they, and a lot of people say this, the, education system is outdated yes Completely. it doesn't teach people to be individuals it doesn't teach them to be entrepreneurs to think for themselves to follow their passions follow their dreams it still creates factory workers yes you need yes. to do this 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 and this and until that changes i instill in my kids i'm like i will support you whatever you do my son loves gaming my daughter's very creative they're both very creative and I encourage that. And I'm like, you know, you need to get grades. You need to go to school. You need to learn the basics. Yes, you need to learn the fundamentals to get you through this world. Mm -hmm. Math, science, all, all the basic background stuff. But there's a lot more they need to add to that. There's a lot more that kids can learn. Kids, you know, think about it. When you're a kid and you're told you can do anything in this world that you want to do, you can dream as big as you want to dream. When does that go away? When does that get squashed? When does that, you know, get beaten out of us to where it's like, I have to do this. And then I have to, you know go to college and I have to get a job and I have to build a house and I have to get married and I have to get a truck or a car and I have to follow the American dream. Mm. And that's all we're programming people for is to follow this illusion of an American dream that isn't fulfilling at all. It's a checklist that people do throughout their entire lives. I did it through my life. I went through and I did all that stuff. I did all the stuff that, you know, is part of the American dream. And I sat here after I had that good career as a, fire, a firefighter paramedic, after I had the house, the kids, the wife, everything, I sat here and I'm like, what now? Yeah. What do I do now? Is this it? Am I just going to exist the rest of my life or is there more to it? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more to it. 
There's so much more to it, and we'll get to that. But I love that you said outdated. That's the perfect way to describe it. It really is the perfect way to describe it. And, and the way I think I've said it on a podcast before, but it's almost like um, inflation. You know, we have to kind of increase payments because prices go up. You got to pay people the right amount. And what's happening is intellectually or intelligently, that's not even a word, intellectually, <laughs> intelligently, intellectually, um, the, the children are getting smarter and smarter, younger and younger. And we're teaching the same program over and over. So the inflation needs to kind of catch up to, to where we're at in intellectually um, uh-huh. making up words. But <laughs> yeah, computers, like I know a lot of people dog on computers, social media, uh, technology, YouTube, Google, all that kind of stuff, because it's like, oh, we're brainwashing our kids. It's raising our kids. That's a not, not a good way to come up. Well, that's what we were taught. Okay. And yes, if all they do is sit around and play Pac-Man 24-7, then yeah, they're not going to get a whole lot of, out of life. My son is 13 years old, and that dude does more research and more self-discovery on the internet, on YouTube, on everything than I've ever done. And he knows a bunch of stuff that I don't even knew existed. I mean, he's just like got all these facts and knowledge in his head, and he's learned it from doing research. You know, he doesn't sit on the computer 24-7 playing games. He's sitting there researching stuff. He's learning how to do coding for games. He's learning how to do YouTube videos. He's learning how to do all kinds of stuff that's going to benefit him in life. Wow, that's really amazing. And, and, and kind of playing off of that, I was thinking about this last night is, um, you know, everyone always talks about a new age and a new, a new way. And, and that could be, you know, the new way is we have all this technology now where all these other jobs that we had to fill as citizens to, to, to keep, you know, society rolling and moving and grooving. You know, we could, we could put the robots in now. And then we have so many resources individually that we can all kind of not self-govern ourselves, but at least take care of a lot of things ourselves. We can, you know, we don't need to, the, a doctor to tell us that we, that we have the sniffles and we have a cold. Now, if we're really sick and we need to go to the hospital and get checked out, that's fine. But I feel like we can be, you know, individuals now and really take our lives in our own hands. And, and I think that could help usher in a new world where we're not so dependent on so many things outside of us. And, you know, in that, uh, that, that cuts off off any kind of uh, tyrannical governments or, or any other organizations that try to kind of move and groove people in, in ways that they, they don't want to go. So hopefully we that's do, the new age. We do, and it is a new age, but we also need, people need to be aware of that that is an option, that that's something they can do. It's a mindset thing. It's something that if they're not even aware of it, they don't know to pursue it, and they don't know how to benefit from it, mm. and they don't see the value in it because they don't know about it. And I'll be honest with you, until I had the first person probably about eight years ago tell me that they were a life coach, I had no idea that life coaching even existed. I looked at them when they said it, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you tell people how to live their lives? Yeah. You know, and it was a completely um, alien term to me. I, I had no, I'm like, what the hell is a life coach? <laughs> you know? That sounds so hokey and so kooky. I was just like, oh my God, whatever. And obviously I knew just like anybody who has a pulse knows that there is personal development out there, mm. but a lot of people see it as just that. Mm. Who you know, it's hokey. It's a bunch of people jumping up and down, clapping their hands, going, "I'm awesome! I'm awesome! I'm awesome!" And that's not what it's all about. Mm. There are some programs like that, but that's not what it's all about. You know, and when you finally pursue personal development, when you finally pursue working on yourself, finding out who you really are inside without all this external stuff that we use to define ourselves in our lives. But once you really take that journey inside, find out who you are, start developing yourself, start developing your passion, start developing your dreams, your hopes, your desires, figuring out what it is you truly want out of life rather than what you think you're supposed to do with this life. 
been a, so many doors open for you. And it is freaking amazing yeah. what is out there, what we're capable of and what our potential is. It's unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. And even your example, um, I kind of went through the same thing, but your example of saying how you thought you weren't smart because you were getting these grades, but then you realize, wait a second, when I apply myself, I'm getting B's and A's and, and I'm, and I'm actually ob- obtaining this information and, 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 you know, just that in itself can give you enough proof that, that you could do a lot more in life than, than you were, you were expecting. Um, but let's get back to your life. Cause your life's really interesting. You know, you're, you're talking about the partying, you were partying, but where did the partying get to a dangerous level where you said, you know, you noticed maybe you were addicted or you were destructive. Um, honestly, it was probably a lot longer than I realized. If I look back now, obviously it's easier to look back and yeah. connect dots and see, you know, where it started to go bad. Um, but you know, a majority of my life, to be honest with you, I took my first drink when I was 10 years old at a friend's birthday party and broke into his mom's liquor cabinet. Wow. Um, by 13, I was drinking on a regular basis, sneaking into my dad's liquor cabinet. Hmm. Um, and that, the thing is, I never drank to just like have a drink or two and just be social and stuff. I drank to pass out every hmm. single time. It's like more and more and more. And that's how I was. And as I got older, it became more and more. And then I went into college and then I joined a fraternity, which was probably not the best move for somebody who drank that much. And I always tell people, I'm like, I quit drinking because I'm just way too good at it. And I was. But the moment that I realized that it got bad, that it wasn't fun anymore, it became a necessity, and all the fun was gone out of the drinking. It wasn't partying anymore. It was trying to survive and not, um, you know, have detox, withdrawals, all that kind of stuff. Mm. It is um, my wife and I went through a bad time. And... We've both been, we, we both partied ever since we met. We've been married 15 years now. Wow. But uh, ever since we met, we were both partiers. And we liked going out to the bars. We liked having fun. We liked going to other people's parties. And it was normal to us. Yeah. That's what my parents did. That's what all my friends were doing. That's what all her friends were doing. So it's like, oh, we're just fitting in with crap. Mm-hmm. But the difference is we'd go out and party, then we'd come home, and we would drink a lot more. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fun for a while. And we, we had a lot of good times. I'm not knocking them. I'm not you know, discounting any of the fun that we had while we were drinking. We used to go Sturgis every year and, and we just, we had a good time. We really did. But once uh, a bad instance happened in our marriage, that really kind of challenged our marriage. It took all the fun out of it. It wasn't fun anymore. It was an escape. It was self-medicating. It was not wanting to be alert and face what had happened or what was going on with us. And it was a very difficult time for both of us. And, Mm. You know, at that time, I mean, I'd get up in the morning and I'd tell my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go let the dogs out real quick. It was like 6 o'clock in the morning, and we'd been partying the night before. I'm like, I'm going to go let the dogs out real quick. I'd come downstairs, let the dogs out, grab three beers, go in the bathroom, down them real quick, let the dogs in, go back upstairs and go to bed. Yeah. It, yeah. it was an everyday thing. And at the time, I was still working for the fire department. And with the fire department, we worked 10 shifts a month. We worked uh, 24-hour shifts. And every other day, and then we have four days off, comes out to like 10 days a month. So I had a lot of time to, you know, four days in a row, every day in between shifts to drink as much as I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like looking, looking back at times like that, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to see that you, you put yourself through that and your body through that. But you also understand like, you know, those times as bad as they were, they, they, they got you to, to this point somehow. And it's, and it's so weird how, so many people I've talked to now on this podcast, how it's always, you know, this darkness that lights the fire. It's always some kind of hardship, some kind of destruction, some kind of, 
like deep, deep darkness. And I'm not talking about like they stubbed their toe and the next day they, they were ready for growth. I mean, some, some true darkness well, and everyone's story is different. Yeah, it is different. And, you know, so that's when it started getting bad for me. And then after a, a while doing that, my wife and I both drinking like a crazy, ridiculous amount. Um, we had some friends and, and family members come to us and say, look, you guys either need to quit or we're taking the kids. Oh, wow. Like, oh, shit. Okay, so guess we're quitting. And we quit. We did. We started going to AA. Everything was great. And we were sober for seven months. And it was the end of the year, 2011. Uh, between Christmas and New Year or something like that, we were sitting there and we we're talking like, man, seven months. That's awesome. We've done great. You know, let's celebrate. Oh. That's how our mind works. Let's celebrate. Yeah. We decided to celebrate by getting some beer. Oh, whatever's left over in the morning, we'll just dump that down the drain. So I went and I got some beer and brought it back home. And th this is my downward spiral. This is the final rock bottom downward roller coaster ride to, to the bottom. Went and got that beer, came home, and I don't even remember taking the first drink. That is how hard it hit me. Wow. Next thing I know, I'm home by myself. My wife, my kids are gone. Um, they had my in-laws came and got the, the kids and my wife in an attempt, I wanted to go get some more after we'd finished what we had apparently. Yeah. And, uh, so I was going to drive, didn't even know where I was, but I was going to drive. So I was trying to get the keys and, uh, and a last ditch effort to stop me from driving. Cause I was obviously drunk. She popped me in the alley and, uh, I wish she would have knocked me out. I really wish to God she would have knocked me out. Kind of. But I'll get to that in a minute. So bottom line, I got the keys. I took off. I drove through a neighbor's fence on the way out of the neighborhood. And it just so happened to be a guy that I work with at the fire department. So I'm like, oh, I'll just take care of that later. Wow. I kept going after driving through this fence. Made it downtown. My brother had a restaurant downtown at the time in this little town, Johnstown, where I lived. And he took my keys. And I don't even remember if I got more alcohol or not, but I started walking home. And the girlfriend of the guy whose fence I drove through, she came and found me and picked me up and brought me back home. They were good friends of ours. And it just, it, it went downhill from there. The, the, somebody reported me driving, obviously, because I was swerving all over the place. There was wood sticking out of the front of the car from hitting the fence. And uh, the police showed up and they're like, what happened to his eye? And my wife said, I hit him. We're, we're very good people and we don't lie and we don't see any sense in lying. And mm -hmm. You know, if we do something, we believe in owning up to it. And she did just that. She owned up to it. And they said, well, we got to take you. And she goes, I know. So they arrested her for domestic. And uh, here I was. Kids are gone. She's gone. She's spending the night in jail. I am here by myself. Just lost my wife, my kids. Now we can't be together because once they take you for domestic violence, then they put a restraining order in place. So we couldn't be together. And I told her, I was like, no, no. You and the kids need some stability. You guys come stay here. I'll find somewhere to stay. She's like, where are you going to stay? I'm like, I don't know. I'll get a hotel or something. Mm. So they came back here, and I went to a hotel. Oh. That, that was, yeah, that was the beginning of the Dark end. night of the soul. I, I spent the next three weeks in and out of a hotel, in and out of three different hotels, ended up in the hospital three times, ended up in detox three times um, because I was going back to drinking. I could not stop. And I was missing shifts at the fire department. I was completely destroying my life. Um, my wife was ready to file for divorce and I just kept going. There was one time that a friend was coming to get me, to take me to the hospital. I took one of those ice buckets they have and I went and put some ice in it, came back to my room. 
and filled that thing with vodka and drank as much of it as I could before he got there because I knew I was going to the hospital. Wow. I was completely gone. I drank freaking acetone, nail polish remover, trying to get above. Mm. And here mm. I, I was a paramedic. I know what this stuff goes to your body. Yeah. And that's how far gone I was. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. It's an old Nicolas Cage movie, Leaving Las Vegas, where he loses his job. He goes to Vegas and he pretty much drinks himself to death in hotel rooms, meets a, uh, a prostitute out there. And yeah. Mm. That was me. After the last time, my mom's like, you're not going back to the hotel room. She's a recovering alcoholic, too. And uh, she goes, you're not going back to the hotel room. No way. And she took me into her house. I was like, all right, all right. I'm done. I'm done. And she's like, all right, you need some food. She left to go get me some food. The second she left, I took the last $10 out of my wife and I, out of our savings account, transferred our last $10 to my checking account, walked down the street, got a big bottle of blueberry vodka, mm. came back after all this. My, my mom leaves and I go get alcohol first thing, come back, sit down. I'm sitting at this old wooden desk in her room and an old rackety chair. And, uh, I had this bottle sitting next to me. I was trying to log on to my work email and I couldn't log on. And I knew I'd been blocked from it because I'd missed so much work and I was facing disciplinary action. And I'm like, okay. So I was distraught. I was down. I'm like, my life is falling apart. And I looked at that bottle, I opened it and I took three huge gulps of it. And I set it down and something in me snapped. I knew at that very moment that if I didn't quit, I was going to die. Mm. So when I was in those hotel rooms for that three weeks, I was having seizures from withdrawals. I was passed out. I was on the verge of death. And I have no idea how I survived other than there's some bigger meaning for me in this life. I'm meant to be here for something bigger. Mm. And I took those three swigs and something in me snapped. I called my mom. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I gave in, I surrendered, and I went to rehab. I did a 30-day inpatient program up in Estes Park, Colorado here. And that was almost nine years ago. Wow. Wow. The thing is, after I did that, and if I start talking too much, Joseph, just interrupt me. Because like I said, when I start talking about this stuff, I get very passionate. And I just yeah. like to keep going and going to so just like do a timeout or something. No, like no. Um, the thing is, once I got sober, once I came out of that, we still had a lot of rebuilding to do, my wife and I. We've been through so much stuff that would have split up so many couples and we were going strong and we're doing awesome we got three amazing kids and i'm so blessed to be here but the thing is once i got sober i didn't go on a crusade of get everybody sober alcohol is evil which i believe it is but that's just me mm. but um it's poison you're putting poison in your body mm -hmm. but whatever i can't drink i'm i know if i ever drink again i'm gonna die that's my motivation yeah and i know for a fact i'm scared to drink again and i think a lot for that but uh, I didn't go on a crusade because what it was, that was my darkness. That was my awakening. That's what was the big kick in the ass for me that said, you know what? You got more to do in this life than just sit around being a drunk and, and existing. You have a lot, a lot of living to do and you have a purpose in this life. And it's from that darkness, from that, that I found my purpose. And I was so, so lost for so many years. And I was in the oil field and I hated being in the oil field. I hated that kind of work. It's not for me. I have a lot of respect for the people that do it, but that was not for me. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I started looking for jobs similar to what I did as a first responder, as an EMT, as an instructor. And I was like, okay, yeah, I probably could do that, but I don't want to. I didn't want to go back to that. I'd seen enough, enough calls and stuff that I'd been on and stuck with me. And I didn't want any more of that. And it was time to move on. But I'm like, what do I do? Mm. And like a light switch, I was driving to work and it snapped. It was like, I spent my whole life helping people. And now we've been through all these traumatic experiences, all these rock bottoms. And, you know, it's not just that. I've experienced so much stuff since getting sober that in the past would have made me go down a real dark hole of drinking. I've, we just got done with a five-year bankruptcy. 
my wife and I almost split up. Still there? Yeah, yeah. My wife and I split up. We've had more problems in our marriage, but we've always come through and we've always survived. Like I said, my wife and I were both heavy drinkers. We had to deal with that. My best friend passed away. I resigned from my 19-year career at the fire department. I had no direction, no backup plan, no savings, no retirement, nothing left. We blew through all that. I lost jobs on a uh, in a second's notice working in the oil field. I would show up and you know the market's starting to go down. They're like, we're gonna have a big meeting in the parking lot. Show up if you read your name. Show up tomorrow for an unemployment meeting. My name was Red. Mm. The only thing I did was just cutbacks, and I got cut. And mm. oh God, there's there's been so much that I've been through, and I'm like, you know what? I can other people can benefit from what I've had to go through, from what I've experienced, from all the challenges, the hardships, the disappointments, the failures that I've been through. And I've been through all this stuff and maintained a positive mindset, a good mindset, a good perspective, knowing that all these things are happening for me, not to me. And if I can pass that on to anybody in this life, then that makes all the pain and suffering that I've been through worth it. And I tell people all the time that story I just told you about being in the hotels and hitting my rock bottom, that is the absolute worst time of my life, the deepest, darkest point I've ever been in in my life. Mm. And I would not change a single second of it. Mm. That made me who I am. That built me into the man I am today. And I love who I am today. And there's nothing more beautiful. I wouldn't be the person I am today. No, no, exactly. It really is nothing more beautiful than that. And, and like I said, in the beginning, you know, you really shine the light in the dark and you turned it into something beautiful. Um, I do want to hit a couple points here. So, you know, when someone's, well, let's start with this, the experience. You can't teach experience. You, you know, there's no books on experience. And, and to go through all of that, you know, it's like, well, why do you think you can help somebody if you've been through all these dark moments? You should be somebody that's been successful so you can teach someone how to be successful. And it's like, no, because life's not all butterflies and fairy tales. And the, the moments that knock people down are those tough moments. And if you can get somebody that's been through them and been a warrior through them and, you know, rumbled through them and made it through still positive, still looking towards and aiming towards something else and, and still having that spirit and that meaning in life, you know, that's that's power. That's true power. And you can't teach that. You can't read that. You have to actually taste it and experience it. No, and I'm really drawn to people that have real life experiences. You know, I, I tell people a story all the time about when I was in paramedic school, the guy that finished top of our class, he finished top of our class. I mean, he was way above everybody else, just nailed it. He got out in the field. He lasted two months before he lost his job because he almost killed a patient because he had no real world experience. He had no way to apply it. He didn't know how to apply it. And, you know, just because he had that certification in his hand, you're like, yeah. cool, you're qualified. Certifications are good for a certain purpose. They, and I've had tons of certifications through all the public service I've done. Mm-hmm. And they do serve a purpose to show that you meet minimum standards. But there's nothing that replaces real world experience. And, you know, people that they come to me, they're like, what are your qualifications? What, what school have you been to? And I'm like, I lived it. I've been through it. I've been through all this stuff that you're going through or you're going to go through some of the hardest stuff that you can face in your life. And I not only came out on the other side, good, but I'm thriving. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not just during it, but afterwards. And it's like, I've lived it. I've been there. So if you want real world stuff, cool. Come to me. If you want theories and stuff like that, go to somebody else. And there's a lot of good theories out there. I know you're a clinical psychologist. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a lot of benefit and a lot of value to that. Mm. But there's something to be said about real world experience too. If somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I'm about to have to file bankruptcy. My wife just left me and I'm drinking too much. Cool. Let's deal with that. Mm. 
because when my um, the other defining moment in my life is happened about two years ago. Like I said, my wife and I have been through a lot of stuff. I love her to death. She's an amazing woman. And uh, we were having some problems. We were disconnected. We weren't communicating the way we needed to. And we split up. We took a break. We went our separate ways. And I didn't know if they were going to come back together or not. Neither did she. Mm. And at that moment, like my kids were staying with her sometimes, me sometimes. And so, you know, there was a night I sat there and I'm like, my wife is gone. My kids are gone. I'm here by myself. I have two choices here because we all have choices. That's what life comes down to choices. We all have choices from the moment we can wake up in the morning. We decide what kind of day we're going to have. We decide what kind of life we're going to have. We decide what kind of future we're going to have. And everything we do today is creating our future for tomorrow. Mm. And I had two choices at that moment. I'm either going to crumble, fall apart, become angry, bitter, resentful, um, hate the world and uh, just become this, the shell of a man that is full of anger and bitterness which I've done before. So I'm like, cool, I know what that result is. What if I approach it from a different perspective? What if I make a different choice? What if I approach this from the perspective of love, understanding, compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, knowing that whatever is happening right now is happening for a reason. Whatever's happening right now is meant to teach me something. And I sat there and I meditated on that. And I was like, what is this teaching me? Not why is this happening to me? What, what is this teaching me? What can I learn from this? How is this making me a better person? Mm. Well, a year later, or a little less than a year later, my wife and I were back together. We're stronger than ever. But the beauty of that and the other experience I went through with my rock bottom with alcohol is I had to figure out, okay, and I, and I t tell people this all the time that I coach, that I mentor, that I talk to. It's like, imagine this. Everything you have right now, Joseph, every single thing that you use to define yourself, which you're probably not a good example because I know you already have a different mindset than a lot of people. But your career, your car, your house, your kids, your wife, the money you make, the jewelry you wear, the clothes you wear, all this stuff that we use to define ourselves and figure out this is who I am. I get this car because it fits my personality. I have this house because I make this much money. Hmm. Imagine for an instant, not to be dark or negative, but imagine for an instant with a snap of a finger, all that stuff's gone. Hmm. It is gone. And you're sitting there on your couch in this house that's completely empty now. Everything else is gone. You lost your job. Your car got repossessed, everything, boom, gone. Who are you? Without any of that stuff that you think you need to define yourself, who are you? And that's what I got the opportunity to do. That's what I had the benefit of is sitting there and saying, okay, if they don't come back, if I lose my house because we were in a bankruptcy, we had to make every single payment to keep the house so it didn't get foreclosed on. So like, okay, I could lose my house. I could lose my car. I'm at a job right now that I don't like working in the oil field. What am I going to do if they don't come back? What am I going to do if I lose my job? If I lose my house, all this stuff, mm. who am I? Mm. And I love the quote that the, uh, mm. the world breaks everyone, but afterwards, some are stronger in the broken places. Not everybody is, though, because when those challenges occur, and this is what I help people with, this is what I coach or mentor people about, is when those challenges come, and they come for everybody, just it's like you were talking earlier. Everybody has that darkness that comes into their life. This is what I believe anyways. At some point or another in your life, something massive is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. Something dark and hard is going to happen to you. And it's a sign. It's a, it's a redirection. It's to bring you to your true self, your true purpose, your true path in life, and your true meaning. Mm -hmm. But if you're not open to that, and you don't approach it with open eyes, and you're not ready for it, you're not prepared for it, when that moment comes, you're either going to break or you're going to burn. You're either going to get stuck or you're going to grow. 
the moment comes for everybody, sometimes multiple times. Some mm -hmm. people get many opportunities to try to get on that right path. But instead of being ready for it, instead of seeing it as an opportunity to learn, and yeah, it's going to suck when you go through it. I'm not saying it's going to take everything away. It's going to be all sunshine and rainbows just because you have a positive mindset. I'm saying that when they come, you're going to be able to sit back like I did and say, what am I meant to learn from this? Mm. What is this teaching me? Rather than why did this happen to me? This sucks. The whole world's against me. I'm going to dwell in this. I'm going to get stuck in this, and I'm never going to move on in my life. Mm. And that's the difference between people that get stuck and people that grow is their mindset, how they approach the challenge. Are they ready to say, this is going to teach me or this is going to break me? Because mm -hmm. if they're not ready to learn, then they're going to get broken every time. Yeah, yeah. And the darkness will keep coming. And, and, and sometimes it gets worse and worse and worse until you have to sort of wake up. And, and it's really tough to wake up because, like you said, it's, it's a lonely place. And, you, you know, it's, it's ground zero. And, it's, and it's, tough to see. it's tough to look ahead when you're at that point. That's really what the challenge is. And that's why people like you are so important because you provide that hope. It's like, oh, you know, even this podcast, if you're listening in, it's like, oh, you know, we heard your story. It's like, all right, wh when's he going to turn it around? Like, how does he turn this around? And you hear you talking and you hear it like the passion, the authenticity. Um, but that's what people need is that is that hope that there there is something that they can aim towards. There is growth yeah. that can happen. And, 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 and it's tough because. The thing about the mind, it, it's a double-edged sword. It's invisible, so you can't see it. It's hard to touch it and taste it and feel it and understand it and, and really get in there and do the work. Um, but it's so great because you don't need anything besides thoughts and feelings to change it. You don't need to buy any special device or hook yourself up or, or anything. You know, you really just need words and a good mindset and a good aim um, and, and some nice values and, and discipline to really make some changes. But the thing is, if you don't know about that, You've never been exposed to that. How many people do you think actually sit around and monitor their thoughts and are like, yeah, that, that, that's a bad thought. I'm going to change that thought. That happened for me when I worked in the oil field. Like I said, I hated working in the oil field. I did not enjoy that kind of work. I'm not against hard labor. I've done it my entire life. It's just what I just didn't like being away from my family as much as I had to be away from them. And I was starting to get very negative and I was starting to let the people and the circumstances around me affect me negatively. And I just, like I said, I just kind of woke up one day and I was like, okay, wait, I have control over this. I can monitor my thoughts. And I was listening to some personal development thing at the time that kind of gave me the idea. And I actually started monitoring my thoughts every single day, day in and day out. I was like, okay, what am I thinking now? What am I thinking now? And every single time I had a negative thought pop into my head, I would either say it out loud or say to my head, like, stop, stop. First thought wrong, think something different. How can you look at this from a different perspective? I hate my job. I'm lucky to have a job. I'm able mm. to provide for my family. I'm able to pay my bills. I applied for that job and I got that job. So if I hate it, that's on me. I made that choice. Again, it's all about choices. Mm. So mm. I started monitoring my thoughts. You can change your life. You can change your mindset. You can change your thoughts. You can change your direction by simply changing your thoughts, by making yes. different choices. But you have to put forth the work. You have to put forth the effort. And I've found that with many people that I've coached. I'm like, look, I'll tell you all the, all the stuff that I've learned, all the lessons I've learned, how to change your mindset, what steps you can take, how you can monitor your thoughts and change them and change your perspective, change your choices, because that's creating the reality you see every single day. And they get so into it and they get so excited for like a week or two, and then it starts seeming like work and they're like, eh, yeah, I'll just go back to the other way that I was. Yeah. It was easier. So yeah. yeah. And they don't want to put in the work. No, no. And, and it's not, it, it, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's not physical work, but 
it's amazing that once you start going into the mind and really trying to change your psyche and do change your psyche, I think it has a, a quick effect with that mind-body connection on the body too. So I'm wondering for you, especially someone that was drinking and destructive, did you notice that change in your body and 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 kind of did it shock you? Because it did for me. Because I didn't I didn't read a lot of books when I was going through my growth. I, I just stuck with a few people and was studying psychology, and then I just started noticing all these changes. Yeah. And then I saw it in books, and I'm like, oh wow, this is amazing. Well, what was your story like with that kind of physical change? Well, my my physical change was. Uh... I don't know. I guess it was kind of slow at the beginning. I mean, I got sober and everything. And I noticed a huge difference in my in my mental state and everything once I got a, a clear head and was able to think clearly. Then I got introduced to personal development, life coaching, and everything. And the company I was involved with when I was first in, uh, introduced into life coaching really opened my eyes to that aspect of the world, to that side of personal development, the life coaching, the mindset, all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, I, I really clicked with that and I really resonated with that and I, I even said at one time I want to be a life coach and you know here I am now but uh I don't think that I really saw a bunch of I, I read some books I listened to some audio stuff um a little bit I, I started my Instagram about three years ago being like I'm gonna hit it hard I'm gonna be a Gary Vee I'm gonna you know do all these like 20 posts a day and get like five billion followers and it's like I, I learned very quickly it's not about that and probably Probably the, the biggest change I noticed in my mind and my body, as far as the mind-body connection, is um, you know two three years ago when my wife and I were going through the tough time, and that's when I really got into meditating because I would feel so anxious and I would feel so down and I'd feel so restless that I was like, I need to just focus on me right now. Mm. And I would sit and I would meditate, and that really opened me up to exploring who I was at the core. Like I said, without any of that stuff, and then I started looking into that more got in i meditate on a regular basis now every morning and night usually but at least every morning um i've started reading a lot of books listening to a lot of audio books about mindfulness about um i love the joe dispenza stuff about mind body connection i love watching that stuff on gaia yeah and that's what i really noticed though that you know not only am i in control of my mind but when you get the connection of mind body and soul when you work on your thoughts your mindset, your perspective, the choices you're making, the way you view the world, the way you create your world, mm. as far as your mind. When you take care of your body, even if you do a little bit of exercise, I listen to uh, Can't Hurt Me by um, David Goggins, and it's an excellent, excellent story. Very, very vulgar, but uh, very straightforward. I mean, it's just him talking like he talks, man. Real it's, talk. <laughs> very good story, and it lit a fire under my butt. I hate running. I've always hated running. Mm. When I was in my fire academies, we had to do three to five miles every morning, and I hated it. After reading that book, I strapped on a 17-pound pack and started running to work two, three days a week, and that's three and a half miles one way. Mm. Mm. Jogging, not really running, running, but, you know, good enough for me. Yeah, and when, when you, think, and when you like, think about it, you wouldn't be able to do that without your mindset in that clear path, you know? No. Yeah. And the thing is, it, it, it shifted my mindset as far as, like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Not only mentally, not only physically, but I have my legs, I have my health, I have air in my lungs. I am able to do that. Yeah. Why not yeah. do it now rather than, you know, 20 years from now, look back with regret being like, man, I wish I would have done something to stay in better shape. But you get that mind connection and you connect it with the body. You take care of yourself. You eat healthy, you exercise, you, you do something physical to take care of yourself. Mm. And then you work on yourself through meditation, through prayer, through whatever channel it is. You know, and, and what I teach in my coaching and stuff is like 
just because I've been through this stuff, the stuff that works for me, that doesn't mean that you have to adopt the same exact mindset as me. Like, here's what you have to do. Here's step one, two, three, four. No, it's to help guide you through finding it for yourself, finding what works for yourself, what kind of mind, body, and soul connection. My wife is very spiritual. She's a, a Reiki 2 practitioner. She's always wow. been very spiritual. Hmm. And funny story, when we first met, uh, she went to a holistic health fair, and me and my brother proceeded to make fun of her. Yeah, so <laughs> I was going to say. Voodoo stuff that she was going to go look at, and now I am very much into it. She has completely opened my eyes over the years. You know, <laughs> if it's been too long, I'm like, honey, you need to smudge the house. And I can feel the energy, energy, all this stuff that I, like, growing up, nobody talks about this stuff. Nobody right? talks about energy and, you know, connecting with your soul, connecting with your purpose, finding out who you are. No. Get good grades, be a man, suck it up. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, all the stuff. <laughs> your your um, story you did yesterday cracked me up about the bro. <laughs> yeah, it's just a stigma, and there's a big stigma around alcohol use. There's a big stigma around depression. There's mm-hmm. stigmas about all this stuff mm. that pretty much everybody experiences to one extent or another. Yeah, yeah. Well, why is there a stigma around something that everybody experiences? You know, and but yeah, so the mind, body, soul connection, that was huge for me. And once I started the meditation, they kind of all started to come together. I've always been active my whole life. I used to be a personal trainer and I've always enjoyed working out and trying to stay healthy. I'm not the expert at it because I love pizza and ice cream too, but um, <laughs> having those three connected is key. It's so key in living a fulfilled, happy life. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think at the end of the day, what, what it all comes down to is, is being able to love yourself. Because if you don't love yourself or you can't accept yourself, then you use all these different things, whether it's alcohol, drugs, other people, relationships, sex, everything. I mean, every single stimulation you could think of, you know, it comes from that. And then when you find that peace within, then it's like, it's a whole new world. Um, it's really beautiful stuff. And you say, um, uh, the beauty of change, you go through transformation, change is possible, you have that greatness, you know, that's, that's really it. Like that's, that message, I don't know any other message that's more important than that, that life is change and there's beauty in it and you have the power within to do it. Well, and the thing is about what you just said, Joseph, is being happy doesn't mean that you have to get all these things, all this stuff, all these achievements. Okay? I have big aspirations in my life and what I want to accomplish you have to learn to love yourself. You have to learn to be happy where you are right now and realize that where you are right now is key to mm. where you want to go. Mm. But people put their happiness on so many external things, on the houses, on the cars, on the friends, on the relationships, on how they can impress their boss, how they impress society. Think about this. People spend all this time in the morning getting ready, shaving, putting on makeup, doing their hair, picking out their clothes, getting ready to go out and impress the world. That's so it. People won't take five minutes in the morning to meditate, to work on themselves, to focus inwards and say, you know, screw the outer beauty. Am I beautiful on the inside? If not, what do I need to do? Mm. How can I be happy right now? Because happiness isn't something you chase. It's something you find within and everything mm. you need is within you. Mm. We all have greatness within us. We all have a special purpose. I believe that wholeheartedly that every single person on this planet was put here for a purpose and we were talking about it the other day about perfection yeah and i've been doing a lot of thinking about our conversation and everything and you know there, there's not another human like you on this planet and there never will be never has been never will be and there isn't right now you are one of a kind mm. now yeah we all have arms and legs a torso a head a brain yeah we can think for ourselves those are characteristics physical characteristics we have similar 
aside from that, we're all completely different and you are made perfectly for who you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And do you mind if I share this theory of mine real quick? Oh no, share it. So my theory is, you know, I, I was at the fire department. I had a uh, captain of mine that, you know, he's my boss at the time. He was my captain. I was driving the fire trucks and we were having a conversation and made the comment, Pat, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. And I actually said it kind of jokingly and over the years it's become a, a philosophy I believe in very strongly. And I looked at him, I go, yeah, you are. I go, think about it. I go, we're human. As humans, we're designed to make mistakes, to fail, to have hardships, to have challenges, to be disappointed. And from all that, we're to learn, grow, become more resilient, become stronger, become prepared for the next phase in our lives. Mm. So if we're designed to do all that stuff and we all experience all that stuff, the failures, the hardships, the challenges, then we're functioning exactly the way we're designed. Mm. We're, we're functioning perfectly. Ooh. It I is like not that. that we're not perfect. It's that our perception of perfection is what's screwed up. Yes. Because we are all perfect. Because if you had a human being, let's, let's say the definition of perfection. You look up the definition of perfection, that is flaws without any flaws, okay? So if we're designed to fail, and you met a human that didn't fail, then that would be a flaw in their, in their human design. Hmm. And if you wanna look at the definition and stuff, then think of it this way too. You define your life, you define who you are, you define what you believe. And you can accept that definition and be like, perfection says flawless, and I'm not flawless because I fail, I have hardships, I have you know, a mole on my face and I have no hair, and I'm a little overweight and all this stuff. So I'm not perfect. Mm. No, that, that's what you're choosing to believe. Mm -hmm. That is not true. A belief is not true. And a belief can be changed at any time. Oh yeah. Me being a little overweight right now, me being bald, me having moles on my face, all that kind of stuff is exactly the way I was designed. Mm. And it's perfect. Every single person is perfect. And I even challenge people. I'm like, show me one person that's perfect. Show me that one human being that reaches, and we all have a different perception of what perfection is too. Yeah, because yeah. we're all individuals. Yeah. So what's the right what's the right definition of perfection? Mm. And either you accept that absolutely nobody is perfect, and they never will be, and you can live with that limiting belief your entire life that I'm not perfect, I never will be. So that gives me a way out when I fail. That gives me a way out when I have challenges. That gives me a way out to not try. So you can believe that, or you can believe that you're perfect with all the mistakes. And then you're functioning exactly the way you were designed to and your failures, hardships, challenges, disappointments are part of your design, mm. perfect design and believe that you're perfect. Which would you rather believe? We all have a choice <laughs> choose that you're perfect to choose that nobody's perfect. No, I love that. And, and we did talk about it because you, you asked me what I thought about perfection. And, and the way that I responded was because I didn't understand. And, and it's all perception. The way I saw perspective. Yeah, uh, perfection is is you know somebody being this you know Jesus like figure that that never that never makes a mistake that's that's you know everyone's kind of bowing down to and what I said was you know I sh I try to tell people to strive towards wholeness you know which is accepting the dark and the light um, mm -hmm. instead of perfection but when you put it in those terms you know that's that's even taking it another level up. It's like, yeah, strive towards wholeness, but then remember you're already perfect where you are and everything's perfect within you. And, and I love how you said, like, read the definition. Here's the definition of perfection. Uh, the condition, state, or quality of being free or as free as possible from all flaws or defects. 
And again, like you said, we are all flawed. Nobody's perfect. So in relation to that and looking at the definition, you know, that's uh, we would be flawed if we weren't flawed. <laughs> exactly. Our flaws are what make us perfect. Yeah. And people bring up the, you know, perfectly imperfect. Well, yeah, I don't like that definition either because uh, I mean, yeah, if you never failed in your life, then that would be a flaw because that's a human characteristic. Everybody fails. Yeah. If you never failed in your life, then you'd be flawed and then you would not be perfect. Because what lights the fire in you? The light or darkness? And we, I brought that up too. I was like, can you imagine an existence where you were this idea of perfect? Yeah. You never made a mistake. You never had to try for anything. You never had a challenge. You never had a mishap. You never had a disappointment. That would be freaking a nightmare. Mm. Mm. Sitting around going, what do I do? I have nothing to strive for. I have nothing to challenge me. I have nothing to aspire to. I have nowhere to go. If I want to try something, I already know I'm going to succeed because I'm perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's BS, yeah. man. It's not a, gr- it's a great definition that we make up in our minds of what perfection is that's wrong. It's not that we're not perfect. It's that we need to reevaluate what our definition of perfection is. Yeah. And, and a great example of this is, is, and then we'll quickly get to the end because we're already flying by. I love this conversation. Oh, but a, yeah. a, a, a wonderful example of this <clears throat> is like a, 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 you know, a young adult or a child starting out in a sport. You know, and if everyone's getting participation trophies, that means that they're making mistakes, but getting rewarded for it. So they're not learning anything. They're not there's no fire for them to to go out and practice more. There's nothing because they're getting the reward and they're feeling like they did something right. And that's kind of messing up the psyche of a lot of children I'm noticing. And it's really getting people um, to this state of of really uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there's not much spirit. It's really limited people. Um, I, I, have you noticed that also? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you don't challenge people to be better, there's, there's going to be different levels in life. There's always going to be different levels, whether everybody gets a participation award or not. And if you have absolutely nothing to challenge people, they will not grow Yeah. and they will stagnate and they will get stuck. And we're going to get a whole generation of people that are stuck sitting on the couch, watching Netflix 24 seven because nothing ever challenged them in their lives. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up about, about kids. I have three kids, mm. three beautiful kids. And I got to deliver all three of them because of my experience as paramedic, which is awesome. That's but, awesome. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, think so about this. Cool. All three of my kids when they were born. Oh, so perfect. I, I guarantee your parents said the same thing about you. So perfect. Probably still say it. You're so perfect. Well, okay. From the day we're born to now I'm about to turn 48. When the hell did that change? When did I come become a perfect baby that couldn't hold my head up, couldn't walk, couldn't crawl, couldn't feed myself, couldn't change my diaper, couldn't take care of myself. So now I'm almost 48 and I can do all that stuff plus a lot more. And now I'm imperfect, but then I was perfect. Mm. Hmm. You think that as we learn more stuff throughout life, we become closer to perfection. Mm. What we think perfection is mm. we're perfect from the first day we're born. We're perfect till the last day we take our last breath. Yeah. Perfection yeah. exists in every single one of us. Yeah. And if anyone's, you know, listening and, 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 and wondering like, wow, they're talking a lot about darkness and hardship and, and, 
but you're noticing the paradox here. And there's so many paradoxes in life. Like the only constant is change. Uh, to be too good is to be no good. Uh, this is part of life. The darkness is needed because it gives you definition. And you need uh -huh. definition for life to be meaningful. If not, it's all meaningless. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it. And that's what makes life really cool and exciting. So we're here at the end. We're already flying by. And I like to ask my fun little questions just to oh, tone yeah. things down and <laughs> see where we're at. Um, I'll give you the, the normal three. So we'll start with the uh, mysteries out in mind, body, and life. In relation to mind, body, and life, if you could have the answer to a question, um, and any question you could have uh, an answer to, what would that question be in relation to mind, body, and life? I wouldn't want to answer any of the questions. That'd take away the uh, journey. <laughs> well, life's a journey. Life's about learning all this stuff. You got all the answers. You got nothing to strive for. You're just like, cool. Got all the answers. That's a perfect way to answer it. <laughs> well, I don't want the answers. I want to find out for myself because it's different for everybody else. I love that. Oh, second question. All right. So, so, so Cliff, uh, you have your own podcast. I don't know. Do you have a podcast or no? Not yet. No. I don't think I saw one, but yeah, maybe in the future. So you got your own podcast and, and you have the special ability. You can interview anyone dead or alive for fiction or nonfiction. If you could pick one to three people, who would they be? Tom Bilyeu, mm. Tony Robbins, Whew. and staying off the top of my head, I'd love to interview David Goggins also. Yeah, those three people have had huge impacts on my life. I love their their uh, authenticity. I love how just blunt and straightforward they are. I love how they don't bullshit people. They're just themselves and. I love that, man. I, I don't like the fake stuff. I, I, the, the company I was involved with, man, it was the jumping up and down. You know, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. Fake BS, got to dress a certain way. Always have a drink in your hand. Put on a certain facade. I'm not about facades. I'm here in T-shirt and jeans talking to you, tattoos, handbar mustache for Movember and all that kind of stuff. I love authenticity, and that's what I, you know, that's how I, I – the, the classes I've taught so far – I tell people the very first day, I say, look, I don't bullshit you. I don't beat around the bush. I'm going to call you out on mm. your BS if I see it, and I'm going to be blunt with you. I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm not going to be rude, but I'm not going to let you get away and give me all these BS excuses as far as why you're not doing stuff, why you're not accomplishing stuff in your life, why you're not striving for more if that's what you really want. Mm. Get out there and do the work. Yeah, and if that's playing right into what, what's so good about someone like you, you know, going through that darkness because you know that you need that. Like, you know that that person needs that, even though it's hard. It's just like the, the paradox we were talking about, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to see on the other end because you're like, what are you, why are you being so mean to me? But it's, it's not about that. You know that that's what's needed to, to move forward. Last question. You have the ability to go back and talk to your old self, you know, one that was destructive, one that was just not feeling well. Um, knowing what you know now, what would you go back and say to your old self? I actually wrote down the answer to this question after listening to one of your other podcasts and you answering this question because it really made me think, you know, and it's going to sound real similar to my first answer. I knew I, it. I knew it. <laughs> I'd go back and I'd say, you know what, buddy, keep pushing forward, keep going. It's going to get better. Yeah. I would not change a single thing about my life. I wouldn't be like, oh, dude, don't do this because that's going to turn out wrong. I wouldn't change a single thing about my life because it made me who I am today. Mm. Change one little thing and my whole life could be completely different. Yeah, or you might not even I be here. I love who I am, and I wouldn't want to risk changing that at all. Mm. So I would just say, keep going. Give him a big, give myself a big hug, and say, keep going, buddy. It gets better. 
Well, this, con- this conversation has been beautiful, authentic, and real. Uh, I think we lived up to the expectations. Uh, I'm sure people out there are hopefully um, interested in, in, in maybe getting to know you a little bit more, seeing some of your material, your website, social media. Can you share some of those links? You bet. Uh, my main one is on Instagram. I am on Facebook also, but Instagram is my main one. It's at mindful underscore architecture. Uh, my website for coaching or just emailing me is bemindfularchitecture.com. And if you want to shoot me an email, even just shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to, I, I talk to anybody, DM me, email me, whatever. I'll talk to you, help you out, whatever. And if we take it to coaching or whatever, that that's great. It, it's uh, mindfularchitecture42 at gmail.com. Beautiful. Hey, thank you so much. Anything else before we head out? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, when I was in the basement initially, I had a thing, a sign, a road sign behind me, 42. I don't know if you've ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but that's like the answer to the universe. So I'm really big on the number 42. So I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate the, the time that you've spent with me and I appreciate your friendship and man. This has been a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, it really has. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for your insights also. And um, like you said, we'll have to do this again. Um, Really, really great stuff. And maybe next time we can get into some more uh, coaching material and and, and talk about our our own experiences with our clients because, um, you know, not their personal stories, but at least some things we learned along the way because there is a lot of power in coaching. And real quickly, I do want to say that you you nailed it right. You're you're not there to, to be someone's savior. You're not there to provide someone the way. You're there to be a tour guide. This is the way I like like to describe it, a tour guide for somebody. But you know that they have the destination, and you're just there to kind of guide them through it. I tell everybody that this is about you. You're the hero of your story. I'm not here to be your hero, your savior. I'm not here to rescue you. I'm here to guide you. Mm. It's about you. Mm. Everything I put out on social media, it's about you. It's about other people and helping them find their way and get through the struggles, hardships, and challenges of life. Beautiful. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you.